You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Is Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. FM. Travis Ryer, your trusty, if not talented, host of the program. Fresh from BamaOnline.com, where I serve as the senior analyst for the Alabama affiliated website there on the 247sports.com network. The show, as always, brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa, getting closer and closer to Halloween. You got to get some of those caramel wrapped. Chocolate dipped nuts, uh, graham cracker dust, uh, assorted, accompanied apples there at Peterbrook Chocolates here. They got those ready to go for you, along with all of your favorite fall treats. Peterbrook Chocolates here. Joined on the program by executive producer James Ludeman, who together we combine to form the 60 minute Woo! of Sports Talk Radio. James, how you doing on this Monday morning? Man, uh, it was a wild weekend, man. A lot to digest, right? I, I I don't even know how to feel. I, I I may just have to go get some chocolate espresso beans to help me out. There you go. The Scott Cochran special. little inside baseball there. That was yeah, yeah, yeah's favorite when he was here in Tuscaloosa. They'll definitely get you going with the uh, dark chocolate espresso beans, but Absolutely. I mean, so many things coming together over the weekend between college football, another big weekend in the Southeastern Conference, including that shootout there in Oxford, Mississippi. You know, I went to bed with that. The worst thing in the world is to go to bed with a headache, right? And then wake up with a headache. That's what I did last night and this morning. Can you imagine what it was like the last couple of nights for this defensive staff at the University of Alabama? Now, the offensive staff, Sark and the fellas sleeping like babies. I guess you could say the defensive staff did too. Babies, what, they wake up every couple of hours. <laughs> uh, but a lot to get into, obviously, with Alabama and Ole Miss. Big week coming up, the Georgia Bulldogs coming to Bryant-Denny Stadium this Saturday night. Dogs look pretty good, especially in the second half of that 44-21 to win over the Tennessee Vols at Sanford Stadium. So a lot to get into, and we're wide open with the phone lines today, by the way. If you want to jump on board, if you've got a little venting to do about that Alabama defense, maybe you want to pass out some bouquets. It is a winners and losers Monday on the program. So we got plenty of that. And just where Alabama Ole Miss is concerned, I think we could pretty much fill up a show if we wanted to, just on those topics. But 205-342-9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. If you would like to jump on board with us. So, yeah, Rebels, Tide, Lane Kiffin special, wasn't it? Have you ever come out of a game where one team ended up winning by 15 points, but more of the talk was about the team that lost by 15? Seems to be the case. There's a lot of talk about Alabama in the days following, in the aftermath. Uh, Obviously, most of that involving the defensive side of the ball and there's no real way to sugarcoat it and i do by the way i do subscribe to the theory that look sometimes you just got to credit the other team and as we outlined throughout the week last week here on the program and of course 
and the analysis work that we do there at BamaOnline.com, we told you some of these lingering matchups from Texas A&M that were an issue were going to be an issue once again with Ole Miss, and Ole Miss was going to present more tempo. Uh, there's a silver lining in all of this for Alabama moving forward defensively. It's that Kirby and Georgia aren't going to give you the type of tempo that you got from Lane and his offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy. At least we don't think they are. Who knows? After Saturday, Kirby may come around to tempo. But in terms of personnel matchups, you knew Kenny Yaboa at tight end was going to be a, a challenge. You knew Jerry and Ely had some Anaya Smith to him. Um, you knew Elijah Moore was going to be featured. You figured that with your corners, Josh Job and Patrick Sertan, you would be fine on the outside against Jonathan Mingo and Dontario Drummond for Ole Miss. And you were because Mingo and Drummond combined for two catches for 22 yards. So you, you were good where you thought you were going to be good. Where you weren't so sure, you weren't very good at all, once again. Right there in the middle of the field at the safety and linebacker levels. And look, we can start with fundamentals. Just tackle. If Alabama just could tackle a little bit better in space, things would be a whole lot better. So at the fundamental level, this team has issues at spots where you just can't afford it. I mean, your last line of defense has to be able to tackle in space. Your linebackers have to understand how to fit gaps how to maintain responsibilities, not get out of position because of their eyes taking them somewhere they shouldn't be headed. So you still have some very fundamental issues that you're trying to iron out. The most concerning aspect, though, defensively of what I saw or heard Saturday night was actually Nick Saban in the postgame when he unsolicitedly put forth that perhaps – Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss staff were stealing Alabama's defensive signals. And even Dylan Moses, after Nick Saban on Saturday night, mentioned, well, you know, Lane was here for three years. Well, you know, no offense to to Dylan, because I'm just guessing that Dylan's repeating what he's hearing from other places inside the program, uh, specifically at areas above his pay scale probably just repeating some of that stuff. Well, you know, the thing with Lane is it goes both ways, right? If Lane has a book on you, don't you have a book on Lane? And look, the opening snap of the game, as I tweeted out earlier today, and I've posted since also on BamaOnline.com with various other clips from the game, the opening play of the game Saturday night was – Essentially, the very same play Lane dialed up to open the 2014 Tennessee game. You remember that one? Kind of had a tight formation. The difference was Blake Sims was under center. Saturday night, he had Matt Corral in the shotgun. It was basically uh, uh, the, 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 the epitome of Football on offense in 2014 versus football in off on offense in 2020. Just in, just as far as where the quarterback, how the quarterback lined up. 2014, you still had more quarterback under center. So really, the only difference was Blake Sims worked from under center on that play. Corral was in a pistol gun, and you had sort of a boot action to the back one way, and you brought your playmaker underneath across the formation and got a matchup against an inside linebacker. And Elijah Moore goes for what? 17, 18 yards on the first snap Saturday night. Now Amari went 80. Okay. But that's Amari Cooper, (laughs) but it was the same play. So you had some Intel too, right? And really the whole thing about stealing signs loses even more of its steam. It's just a bad look. The biggest red flag about the comment from Saban was that it was unsolicited. It was unsolicited. It wasn't like, and this happens a lot, and you'll see fans and maybe media knee-jerk react to things. You'll see or hear bites from coaches or players. But what you don't have is context because a lot of times 
you know, a coach or a player will be asked specifically about something, they'll offer their answer because they were asked about it. Well, Nick Saban wasn't asked about Lane Kiffin stealing his signs on Saturday. He just brought it up after his defense gave up a school record 647 yards. Just looked bad. It almost sounded as if it almost sounded like a concession where defense is concerned for Nick Saban. You know, even in his other comments Saturday night. Well, we're just going to have to outscore people. And I think Nick Saban's like a lot of coaches these days. Because offensive football has gotten to the point that it has, what do you hear Nick Saban and these other coaches really talk about the most? Third down. Got to get off the field on third down. When you get a chance on third down. You know, so many of these games, it doesn't seem like you're getting to all that many third downs. You know how many third downs Alabama's offense was confronted with? In scoring 63 on Saturday night, seven, seven third downs for the Alabama offense. You know how I many they converted? Six, six out of seven. You know, Ole Miss did hit on nine of 17, so that 50% plus conversion rate that the Alabama defense has allowed or had allowed in the first two games of the season, it's still 50 plus percent. But it was a third down that Ole Miss didn't could convert that I thought was as indict as, as big of an indictment of Alabama's defense right now as anything else. The third and 27 in the second quarter. And you want to talk about tipping things off or tipping plays off or stealing signs. There is no bigger screen draw down in football than third and 27. And guess what Ole Miss does? Guess what Ole Miss did? There, there was no need to steal a sign because Ole Miss was basically telling Alabama, okay, it's third and 27. We're actually going to just try to punt here, essentially. We're going to run a draw, right? Screen draw down. We're going to run a draw. And the old, the Alabama defense opens up parts ways in the middle of the field like Van Halen with a front man back in the day and picks up 22 yards. Lane was trying to punt the ball. Lane was actually telling Alabama what he was going to do. He didn't have to steal any signs. Alabama didn't have to steal any signs. Ole Miss was telling Alabama, third and 27, we're running draw. Okay, 22 yards. I guess we'll go for this fourth and five. Oh, look, there's 18 more. Ole Miss goes into the end zone. It's 14 to seven. And now you know it's going to be pretty much all night that you're in this thing. 205-342-9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. Let's go there right now and check in with Super Joe on a Monday morning. Super Joe, how you doing? Doing all good, man. Chad, how you feeling, man? I'm hanging in there, my man. Yeah, I was, about, I was looking a little bit about the way our defense play. You know, I'm glad the offense, I'm glad, think about the offense was struggling. We've been in bad shape. <laughs> Well, I tell you, I mean, it's it's a yeah, that's that's the shame in all this is that we don't talk about this offense enough because as much as the last two years fit this description, this is shaping up as potentially another of those offenses for all time. Now, look, you're going to have a, a major examination on Saturday night with that Georgia defense coming in here. So, yeah. you know, not not to devalue what we've already seen from this Alabama offense, uh, but in terms of true validation, you know, that's gonna that opportunity is gonna come this Saturday. Yeah, it's gonna be a test of will. I gotta see this. You know, I look at it like this. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I know what Lane. I know Lane Kevin State Alabama defense scrimmage against them. I know that, but I mean, I mean, come on, you got to at least know how the men's offense run. I mean, then at the same time. I'm just not. I'm. I'm going to ahead and just say, you know, pop goes the wheels, and we we got to get Charles. We got to put Charles Strong to work right. Money jumping now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to talk a little real. You know, I'm going to say that in a cool, cut, clean way. I know there's a. I know there's a, a strong sentiment among the Alabama fan base when it comes to Charlie Strong. And look, if you can tell me that you're going to get 2008 Charlie Strong when he was a defensive coordinator at Florida. Then I probably well, wouldn't argue with you much, but I, I the, the the last time I saw Charlie Strong as a head coach, anyway, uh, it wasn't exactly during an, a successful run there. 
I think Charlie's gotten the short end of the stick in some situations, maybe. Texas never truly embraced him as the head coach there. But, yeah, if you could tell me today that I'm getting 2008 Charlie Strong, okay, I, I, I would listen to that. Uh, I would listen to that case. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, some, I mean, yeah, look at, I mean, some people aren't, I mean, some people, like I said, might be better off being a decent coordinator. Some, you know, some assistant yeah. coaches are made to be head coaches. And then you got some that are, but you're still you know, but not going to get the credibility or the short end of the stick. I'm going to use an example. Buddy Ryan, when he left the Chicago Bears, and took the Philadelphia Eagle job, and okay, but he was he wasn't really he wasn't a hundred percent head coach. You know, he took that job out of an Eagle because he didn't want to stay under Mike Dickey. But now, for yeah. what Charlie Strong goes, you know, for him being a decent coordinator, it, it could be it could be a top it could be a top notch. But like I said, we we're gonna have to get somebody to raise Pete. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to get somebody to babysit. You know, Pete Golden's assistant or something, and because something is not getting done right. I mean, the man's I mean, he, he's a good guy, but the man's not all that fiery. I mean. I mean, come on! Well, now. He, I mean, I mean, he's very, he's very, his, his coaching is very pre preschool, and he's very, very preschool and defensive coaching. I mean, Saban keeps him out there for whatever reason. I'm just saying right now, I think it's time to go and just pull the plug early, and we don't need to wait to do it next year. We got to do it right, money jumping now. If we don't, if we don't, if we don't get it right in the Georgia game, then again, we should not even wait for the, a loss to happen either. All right, Super Joe, we got you down. Take care now. There you go. Super Joe checking in. He wants Charlie Strong this afternoon in there. Here's the thing, though. And, look, I'm not saying Pete Golding doesn't deserve criticism. The defensive staff as a whole at this point. Because, again, as much as anything, fundamentally three games into the season. And I know we have this caveat, and we need to talk about it, and it's legitimate in terms of how this year has gone in general with the pandemic and no spring practice and that being a prime time to really reinforce fundamentals and things like that. Okay. I can see that, but I also know that we still had a ramp up to the season. It's not like they got seven days, you know, on a farm down in Utah to figure it out. And then let's go play Missouri. That isn't how it worked. You had 40 days for 25 practices. Now look, because there isn't, full transparency we also don't know in those 40 days who was available you know how many guys were out for different reasons including COVID-19 for all we know that could have been an issue too I'll grant you that but I do know we are now three full games into the season and I also know that when you had time to get ready for Missouri this defense looked pretty good against Missouri not perfect but it certainly didn't look dis- discombobulated from the opening snap like it did Saturday night in Oxford. 205-342-9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolate here studio line. Let's go back there now. Max in one of my favorite cities in the South. Tupelo. How's it going, brother? Hometown, hometown of Elvis Presley. Max, how you doing this morning? Ah, man, I don't know which way's up or down after seeing that defense, man. I'm I'm pretty worried, to be honest with you. I think there's certainly reason to be. I would caution the sort of panic group today that every week is different. And I do think in terms of matchups and style and some of the challenges that Alabama has can, had put in its way the last two weekends, it's not to say you should feel great about this week with Georgia coming in here. I'm just saying in terms of what this defense will have to deal with as much as anything, the stuff in its head pre-snap, I think it slow. I think it has a chance to slow down for Alabama defensively this week with Georgia. I, I think you're right, Travis, uh, with, with what you say, as far as style, uh, Georgia, basically all they can do is run it. So if we can, Stop that! Obviously, their defense is is really good, so they're gonna they're gonna stop us a few times. I don't know if anybody can stop us all the time. I think we probably put up points on the Minnesota Vikings if we wanted to, um, but uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm, I'm a little worried because uh, man, that looked rough. Uh, now Lane Kiffin, his offense and Ole Miss's offense, the playmakers they've got, they're 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 gonna put up points and yards on everybody, but. Uh, 
that was pretty rough, man. Um, well, it was, and, Super, and again, do, go ahead. I, Super Joe said something about Charlie Strong. From what I understand, there's some kind of weird buyout that he's got to pay if he becomes a, a coordinator or a coach at uh, um, a major university. Yeah, the, I don't know if you've the, seen that. It's there, like there, one point five or something. There's typically an offset involved or, you know, the terms of a buyout that are a part of that financially. But look, if Nick Saban today, and I understand it's different right now in the midst of a pandemic, economically, schools are taking a hit. But if it was at that point in Nick Saban's mind, this 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 could happen quickly. I, yeah, we would get opinion. it paid for. I think you're right. You know, this this isn't this isn't all due respect. This isn't Jacksonville State here, you know. And so, um, and look, you've got Mike Stoops sitting around there too. So when I when I yeah. when, when when I hear people get after Pete Golding, I understand it because at the end of the day, it's his name that's on that defense. But you know, Nick Saban is a pretty prominent defensive guy of note in his own right. So this isn't even a situation like, let's say, Florida or South Carolina when Steve Spurrier was at those places, where you pretty much knew it was Steve and his offense, and then on the other side of the building, it was the defensive staff. I mean, at the end of the day, I think we all understand personnel, scheme, preparation. Nick Saban still very much on the bottom line of that, you know, in terms of what we see on game days from the Alabama defensive side of the ball. Well, he needs to get his tail in the DB room for sure. I don't know if there's enough tackling drills right now for this defense. You know, I, <laughs> it can't I think be. They, they need like a, a two week <laughs> by week stretch of just tackling. You know, cause again, I just think if you clean up some of those issues, you know, it's like I said last week, after the A&M game, if Daniel Wright gets Anaya Smith out of bounds on what should have been a pretty simple play, how do we view that performance as a whole against A&M? Probably a good bit differently, right? But when you're constantly oh, yeah. seeing guys get behind the defense, not even before the catch, but after the catch, um, and we're not just talking about playmakers like Anaya Smith, we're talking about tight ends, yeah, we were practicing social defense. distancing for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see, Max. I mean, I, 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 I wish it was as simple for Alabama fans as just saying this one player, this one aspect of this defense is a problem. Right now, Alabama needs a break from the kind of offenses they've seen the last couple weeks, although Lane and Jimbo aren't entirely the same. I'm talking more about sort of the dynamic playmaker capability that A&M and you saw it with A&M against Florida on Saturday and then what Ole Miss presented to you this week I just don't think George is going to give you as much as that you got to account for George Pickens on the outside but you like your corners in that matchup Georgia doesn't really have that back even like a DeAndre Swift the last couple of years they've got some guys and look we know that based on tape George is going to attack Alabama's inside linebackers with the backs in the passing game. Tight ends too. Trey what McKinney chance do you give us to win that game? I, I, I like. I think. I think Alabama has a great chance to win Saturday. I know that sounds crazy right now, and I do agree with you on this. It's just not going to be as easy offensively this week. But when I look at the matchup defensively, I look more. I look more at what Alabama was able to do against backs like Isaiah Spiller of A&M, and Larry Roundtree of Missouri. Did a pretty good job on both those guys. And that's the kind of backs you're going to see this week from Georgia. You're not going to see a Tyler Beatty. You're not going to see an Anaya Smith. You're not going to see a Jerry and Ely this week. Uh, although Snoop Connor had his way Saturday night as well. So that's the, that's yes, the glass half full. That's the glass half full on Monday. Look at it. How about that, Max? All right, Travis. Well, thanks for talking to me off the ledge, man. Roll Tide. There he goes, Max, over there in Tupelo. Tupelo Honey. Yeah, good song by Jason Isbell, Tupelo, on one of his latest LPs. We're going to head to our first break, and we come back. More of you at 205-342-9904 when Southern Fried Sports returns right after this. Yeah. 
a warm afternoon with a partially sunny sky. The high today, 85. For tonight, mostly fair with the low at 61. Tomorrow and Wednesday, the weather less humid both days. A good supply of sunshine. Highs in the low 80s between 80 and 83. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on your home for University of Alabama Athletics. Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show is always brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolates here out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. It's a winners and winners and losers Monday on the program. So, uh, been a lot of Alabama Ole Miss talk, a lot of it not so pleasant, as you might expect, where the Alabama defense is concerned. And again, that's kind of a shame because Mac Jones did something against Ole Miss that no other quarterback in Alabama program history has done. Back-to-back 400-yard performances for the redshirt junior quarterback, man. 28 of 32, and that was with a drop. He's now had three of his, I guess it's seven career starts now. So roughly about half of his career starts, he's had completion percentages of 80% or better. Not bad. And the explosive plays, by the way, continue. Ole Miss really made a concerted effort to sort of try to take away the deep ball. And so Mack, very patient, working underneath, allowing his receivers like Jalen Waddell with his third straight 100-yard game to do some work after the catch. Same for Devontae Smith. You think Devontae Smith likes playing against Ole Miss, by the way? Just 440 receiving yards in his last two games (laughs) against the Rebels. Six touchdowns. That was Devontae's first 100-yard game of the season. Getting plenty of targets. I think he has like 34 targets through three games. Leads Alabama in receptions. But in terms of yards per catch, it's still been more about Waddle, John Mechie. John Mechie had that aforementioned drop, but otherwise I thought he was really good once again. Not going to get the opportunities, the touches of Waddle and Smith, but boy, he keeps that yards per catch average north of 25 yards per That's all you really need from him. I'll say this about John Mechie, too. You go back and watch some of the perimeter runs. This guy can get it done as a blocker on the edge. I think that's going to be important this week. Because you're not just going to line up and say two tights or even from three wides and run Najee Harris for another 200 yards this week. That's not going to happen against this Georgia defense. You're going to have to be good on the edges. And Alabama's wide receivers – for years now, especially in the Nick Saban era, really get it done as perimeter blockers. Sometimes to a devastating level when going against secondaries like Ole Miss's on Saturday night. Hey, Travis, I, yeah. I got a question for you, though. Yeah. So, you know how they say offense sells tickets, defense wins championships? Do you think that's the case here this weekend, or do you think it's just too much for Georgia to hold on? Well, obviously, as we talked about, that's going to be – that's going to be the matchup that sells the tickets this week is that Georgia defense going against Alabama's offense. Oftentimes, though, and this was sort of the case, I thought, with Tennessee and and Georgia on uh, last Saturday was that, um, you know, the other side of the ball, you know, Alabama's defense against Georgia's offense is going to probably tell us as much as anything else. I, I, again, I know Alabama fans can't imagine this right now. But I think it's it's an opportunity for this Alabama defense to keep things manageable. I mean, if Stetson Bennett lights you up, then okay. The, uh, some of the talks that we're having post-Ole Miss, uh, we, we most certainly should have after Georgia. And Stetson Bennett, look, 
You know, he's been solid. He's a great story. He's played well, efficient. You know, he's pretty much rubber stamped his last couple of starts, like 17 to 26 for 240. And he's a guy that'll hurt you with his legs a little bit. But no, what I'm talking about with the Alabama offense is that with this Georgia defense, there's going to probably be even more diversity required. And not so much in terms of who gets the ball, but how you go about getting it to them. And I do think there are some matchups. Eric Stokes is an outstanding corner for Georgia. Tyson Campbell, former high school teammate of Patrick Sertan, solid defensive back, not quite to Stokes' level. You've got really good safeties with Richard LeCount on the back end. You've got a dime, you've got a nickel and dime corner that I think you can work for Georgia. Tennessee did it on Saturday and DJ Daniels. Um, but you saw some things against Ole Miss from the Alabama offense. You see Jalen Waddle in the backfield take a handoff the other night on sort of an outside zone play. Yeah, those are the type of things I think you might see more of. I don't think that was just, hey, here's something to think about. I think those are the type of things you could see more of, even more of this week against a great Georgia defense. Let's head back to the Peter Brook. I was just going to say real quick, the scariest part for me, though, is Georgia's offense is better than Ole Miss's offense, and Ole Miss went off. So what does that say about Georgia? Georgia's offense is statistically better than Ole Miss's. And also, James – Quit looking at just stats. Yeah. You know, let's talk styles. It's, what, what do they say about fights? Styles make them. So sometimes we got to get out of the stats, even if they are in a particular team's favor. And you've got to think about, well, how do they go about doing what they do? Georgia doesn't use a lot of tempo. Georgia doesn't have sort of a dynamic all-purpose guy like Ole Miss had multiples of, like Texas A&M had. Georgia's got a tight end, and I'm sure we're going to see Trey McKitty targeted early on Saturday night after what we've seen from Alabama the last couple weeks. But again, the game should slow down a little bit. Georgia's going to try to be physical. This isn't going to be as much of a game of chunks. You know, Georgia doesn't want this game to be about chunks, James. They want this game to be more about inches and winning them. They want to hold Alabama more to something along the lines of inches and feet rather than yards and chunks. And then offensively, they are content to win a game that comes down more to inches rather than explosive plays. Do we have JR still with us? Yes, sir. He's on the line. All right. Thanks, James. Let's go there right now. James, uh, JR, how you doing? Hey, Travis. How about you? How about you, my man? I'm hanging in there. Yeah, well, um, been listening, and, and I got a few curiosities. You know, the, first of all, how did they get Auburn get away with that spike like they did? <laughs> you know, I had SEC officiating on my list of losers from over the weekend with that game specifically in, in mind. They got away with it because ninety-nine out of one hundred times, Jr. in that situation. When a quarterback spikes the football, he doesn't do it directly behind the behind himself. You know, usually, usually the quarterback handles the snap cleanly first and foremost, which Nix did not do. Bo Nix did not do that. So in fumbling, he has to pick it up, and then he turns away from the line of scrimmage and behind himself and spikes the football, which by rule was a lateral at that point. And should have been a live football. It was clearly recovered by Arkansas. But officials are humans. And the instinct right there, because I'm sure the official that blew the whistle has done this hundreds of times before in that type of situation. He's anticipating the spike. So he's already pretty much blowing the whistle when Nix is performing the act without thinking that, you know, maybe I ought to wait and see if he spikes the ball in front of him before I blow the whistle, that didn't happen. And, you know, when well, you an think about it, whistle Arkansas, might be the reason they didn't call it. Arkansas right now should be 2-0 and in the division, which would essentially mean they were tied for the division, the, the division lead. I mean, they, they'd be behind Alabama. But 2-0 and in the division, that's what Arkansas should be right now. All right. All right. They blew it. Well, they blew it. 
and whatever yeah, they, they flew it what, all right they blew the whistle whatever, too soon. whatever word salad they offer up from birmingham blah 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 who cares i don't even read that stuff you know all right well ahead to georgia all right real quickly real quickly um you know you mentioned something about defenses you know it's going to be alabama's offense against the georgia defense and then uh, likewise the other way around but don't you feel like that there's I mean, Alabama surely can't be as bad a defense as they were this last weekend. And I just feel like they're going to finally, kind of sometime or another, going to make some improvements. And what, you know, what better incentive is to play at a number three team coming to Tuscaloosa? Yeah. Hey, look, there's also something to be said about 20, 21 year old people hearing all week how much they suck. And that, that can help too. That can actually help you. And, that's what that's what this entire defensive side of the ball, anyone involved with it, you know, is going to hear for the entire week. I I won't be I, I'll be shocked if Alabama defensively is as bad against Georgia as it was against Ole Miss. Again, as much as anything, because I don't see where Georgia presents a lot of the same challenges. I know people hear this and they say, "What in the heck is he talking about?" He's talking about Ole Miss in comparison to Georgia. No, you, you've got to look at it as the pieces and, and matchups. And so, look, yeah. Lane walked into the perfect situation for him at Oxford. The type of quarterback he likes, the type of running backs he likes, playmakers at the wide receiver spots. He gets a grad transfer that can make plays at tight end. The pieces right now and an offensive line, by the way, that is experienced. He walked into a really good situation. If you do a little bit of research, you will understand that. Personnel-wise, he inherited some nice pieces. I don't suppose Ole Miss, or where you say, what do you say, Mississippi? Mississippi. Mississippi? I like that. <laughs> but uh, if, uh, what, they don't suppose they inched into the rankings. No. no I mean, what is their the record? Of the day, what is their re- end of the day, they're, they're one and two. And, you know, they got a road win at Kentucky that came largely on a missed extra point by Kentucky. Um, right. I'll tell you who's not in the rankings anymore either. How about LSU? Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we can talk about Pete Golding. We can talk about Alabama's defense. But how about Bo Pelini? And, again, I don't hit him as hard as I really would because I understand everything that defense lost. But it's yeah. still LSU, and you're still talking about Missouri. And Bye. Exactly. I've asked this before. Does anybody know who LSU was bidding against when they decided to give Bo Pelini two point three million per season? Who else was coming for Bo at Youngstown State? That's puzzler. I haven't been able to get an answer to that question yet. Well, all right. I appreciate you chatting with me there, Travis, and uh, have right, a rest, good rest of the day. And I'll be listening. All right. We appreciate it, my man. Thanks for the call. Two zero five three four two. 9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio. And I think I got to go take a baby aspirin or something. You know, the blood pressure, the blood pressure is getting up there on this Monday morning. <laughs> We're going to step aside for a break and we come back. More of a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. I'm so happy because today from my friends on this day in 19. 19- 191. Nirvana with the iconic LP, Nevermind. It went to number one on this day back in 1991. Unbeknownst to me, and probably even to the parents of James Ludeman at the time, young Jim, young James. I don't know if James likes that Jim moniker or not. Only if you're 60 or older. <laughs> James Ludeman, unbeknownst to me, a big Nirvana fan. Loves him some Kurt, Chris, and, of course, Dave. Yeah, I do. I, I actually, uh, I, man, well. it, it didn't really hit me how good they were until I was in about eighth grade or so. Uh, but, man, I, I would argue that the 90s still had some of the greatest music of all time. 
I know a lot of people, you say that and they kind of look at you like you're a Martian because there was still plenty of bad music. But in terms of impact, full music, when you had the Seattle thing and kind of the grunge thing, which it preceded the early 90s, but that's when it hit. Uh, it was as notable as just about any other time period or frame in my life, you know, with Nirvana doing what it did, really changing heavy rock anyway. You know, the, the, the glam metal bands, the hair bands, they just dried up, man. And you had Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Temple of the Dog. Yeah. You know, and Pixies, the Pixies pretty much laid the groundwork for all that. If you ever go back and listen to the Pixies, and even Kurt Cobain said it in an interview years ago. Basically, Nirvana was a ripoff of the Pixies. That slow, slow, fast, slow, slow, fast type of tempo. Yeah, that's where a lot of that came from. 205-342-9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. If you'd like to jump on board with us on a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports, which is brought to you in part by Houston Hydrostein, our great, great friends there. You're going to take great care of your floors, whether it's your carpets, your rugs, your upholstery, your tile and grout cleaning, wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling. Jackie and the outstanding folks there. At Houston Hydrostein, 205-553-9460. Not only are they going to do outstanding work for you, the the customer uh, relations skills are outstanding. You know you've tried before. You've tried different services. It's hard to get folks to even answer the phone a lot of times, isn't it? Well, they're going to answer the phone at 205-553-9460, and then they're going to take great care of you at Houston Hydra. Steam. We're talking winners and losers on a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports. I know James Ludeman was happy with his raise yesterday. Woo! Game one of the ALCS. I guess the, the Astros didn't have their garbage can with them. I mean, what, what happened? I didn't really see much of that. I just know the Rays won the game. And by the way, as long as the Rays are winning, I will refer to them correctly as the Rays. If they lose, they go back to the Devil Rays. James, that's I kind love of it. Kind of the rules. Hey, we got the Atlanta Braves tonight. Got a doubleheader today, right? Got yeah, the, the, uh, the Rays are Rays on at uh, 3 o'clock today, and then the Braves are on at 6.30, I think? I think it's 7-ish on Fox. Okay. Uh, something like that. Max Freed for the Braves. You know, Max got cuffed up a little bit in that last start. Uh, you're going to have Walker Bueller. 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 The former Vanderbilt star, Walker Bueller. Uh, two postseason starts for Bueller. He's 0-0 zero and zero with a 3.3 ERA. Does have 16 strikeouts and eight innings work. Now, he's had a blister situation, Walker Bueller. So he's essentially been kind of this four-inning guy, uh, the talented right-hander. And then, of course, for the Braves, Freed, the lefty, 3.27 ERA in the postseason, which still sounds pretty good, but it is up. It is up from the regular season. Again, he gave up four runs and four innings in his last start against the Miami Marlins. How about these leadoff guys in this matchup of the Dodgers and the Braves? Ronald Acuna Jr. and Mookie Betts. Does he get much better than that? I don't know. Travis Darno in Fuego for the Braves right now. Eight for 19, two doubles, two homers in five postseason games. Got to get Freddie going. Freddie just three for 18. With zero extra base hits, Ozzie Albies a little frigid right now in that Braves lineup as well. But you are reinvigorated as a Braves fan, and you feel better about sort of ending this Dodger snide in the postseason. These teams have seen a good bit of each other over the years in postseason play. Uh, but with, you know, Ian Anderson coming on, with Kyle Wright coming on, in that pitching staff, you feel like you can match up. Bullpen has been good. feel like you can match up a little better with the Dodgers this time around in the NLCS. Going to take our final break. When we come back, we'll put a wrap on a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Winners and losers on this edition of SFS. More of the show on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Van. 
A warm afternoon with a partially sunny sky. The high today, 85. For tonight, mostly fair with the low at 61. Tomorrow and Wednesday, the weather less humid both days. A good supply of sunshine. Highs in the low 80s between 80 and 83. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. One baby to another says I'm lucky to meet you. With more of a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on side 100.9 FM. Travis Schreier, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. Also want to tell you today about Chase's residential and commercial cleaning. Yashika Barnes, outstanding person first and foremost. We love Yashika Barnes around the Ryer fam. 205-886-3616. Chase's residential and commercial cleaning. You're talking about 20 years of quality cleaning experience. And as we pointed on, pointed out with Houston Hydrosteam earlier, dependability, man. That's what it comes down to when you're talking about home services, personal services. That's where it all starts. And you're going to get that more with Chase's residential and commercial cleaning. 205-886-3616. Hey, it's uh, Players of the Week time both at the Southeastern Conference level, seeing some around the like Maxwell Award that they do with the National uh, Player of the Week Awards. But uh, shouldn't be any real surprises from the Alabama perspective coming off that win over the Ole Miss Rebels. I know it sounds crazy. The sort of tenor since Saturday night hasn't been what you would expect from a win, but it was. And the Alabama coaching staff just released its players of the week from the Ole Miss performance. Miller Forrestal, I talked about him earlier, uh, had a couple of catches in the game, first touchdown catch of the game of the season for Miller Forrestal against the Rebels. But again, I'm as impressed as anything by the work he does in space as a blocker. He's a good blocker between the tackles as well. So that versatility that he gives you, that's nice. It's nice when you can kind of run your power game and your counter game with him at the age, and you can split him out wide, get him out there with John Mechie like you did on Devontae Smith's uh, first touchdown of the game against Ole Miss, and those guys take care of business against perimeter defenders like they do. Miller Forstall, one of your Alabama Offensive Players of the Week. Of course, Najee Harris is going to pick up some hardware, even with that fumble. By the way, right, the late whistle, Usually late whistle. Arkansas would have loved a late whistle, right? Or just an even on-time whistle, an accurate whistle against Auburn. Najee sort of fell victim. I know his coach, Charles Huff, and even himself, they're not going to let him off the hook for it. But look, I mean, progress had stopped. It looked like Najee was actually going backwards at that point, and the play was over. The side judge doesn't blow the whistle, so it ends up going for a fumble for Najee Harris. But career-high 206 rushing yards. You know, the 39-yard touchdown that he had to seal the game, that was actually his longest run of his career to date. I think that might surprise some people. And again, sort of goes back to the question that NFL people have of Najee. You know, where are the 50, 60, 70-yard runs? Devontae Smith, also an offensive player of the week. 13 catches, which was a career high for Devontae. 164 receiving yards. Had 105 of those in the first half. And uh, again, the aforementioned opening touchdown uh, that came actually, it's been worded here as a strike from Mac Jones. I think it was, wasn't it actually a jet sweep? Yeah, I think so. Um, Christopher Allen on defense. Alabama actually did have breaking news here. We might need to get the sound effect ready. Um, The Alabama defense did have multiple players of the week from the win over Ole Miss. Christopher Allen. There you go. The redshirt junior. Uh, He had seven tackles in the game. Uh, He had two tackles for loss. That was two of Alabama seven against the Rebels. Patrick Sertan, your other defensive player of the week. Patrick Sertan 
again, he and Josh Job not targeted all that much. Uh, Sertan had six tackles, and I would venture to guess without watching the entire tape again that a good bit of those were in help mode. You know, he was trying to help safeties, and, you know, I know he did against Yaboa right there early in the game. When Yaboa got out the gate, that was Patrick Sertan that helped run him down, Christian Harris in that mix as well. And again, you're seeing Sertan, you're seeing the defensive staff try to get creative with pressure because the front four still isn't doing that enough. And they are getting pressure. They're not finishing on the quarterback. You know, weren't really able to finish on Kellen Mond enough at A&M, against A&M, weren't able to finish on Corral enough Saturday night. But you're seeing Sertan come on some pressures, especially when he's into the boundary, short side of the field. Nick, Pruitt, Smart, these guys, they love to bring that boundary cat, that corner from the short side of the field. You're seeing some of that with Sertan. Uh, special teams player of the week, John Mechie recovered an onside kick late. He had the four catches for 75 yards on offense. And as I talked about earlier, he too, he too should be commended for doing an outstanding job as a perimeter blocker in the quick game on the offensive side of the ball. Wanted to get around to Dan Mullen's comments, man. You know, we talked about Nick Saban's postgame comments and the sort of low-key assertion that maybe Lane was still in some signals. And again, the problem with that is Lane told you he was going to run draw on third and 27, and you still couldn't slow it down other than maybe the goalpost. And what about Dan Mullen? He wasn't happy about that crowd at Texas A&M. Texas A&M supposedly had 25,000 at Kyle Field. If you watch that game, and I tweeted this during the game, everything in Texas is bigger, including crowd capacities, because 25,000 at Kyle Field looked like what would be 50,000 anywhere else. Dan wasn't happy about it. Dan called for his administration to open up the swamp this week for LSU. Dan wants capacity at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. He's not going to get it. He found that out pretty quick. And look, there was only like 10,000 at Faroe Field in Columbia, Missouri Saturday, and that was plenty for the 0-2 Missouri Tigers to take out the defending national champions. Dan, I think you'll be fine with 18K in there Saturday against these LSU Tigers anyway. That's going to do it for a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports. The lunch whistle today, Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa, they'll take care of your case of the Mondays. Get that Yardbird chicken sandwich, man. Grilled chicken breast, thick-cut bacon, American cheese, arugula, and that that slap-your-mama sauce on that buttery soft brioche bun. Oh, my goodness, man. Southern Ale House. Thanks to James for producing it. Until 11 a.m. on Tuesday, have a great rest of your Monday, everybody.